This is Focus on God's Word with Pastor Danny Milenkov. Welcome to the second message in this Noah series. Noah, another storm is coming. It's a six-part series and this is uh, message number two. If you missed message number one, I'd encourage you to catch up on that. Today's message is entitled, Will God Remember You? Will God remember you? Those of you who are, are watching us, wherever you may be watching from, I want to give you a big warm welcome. Uh, joining the studio audience here in Morissette, beautiful Lake Macquarie, in the most blessed nation on the planet, Australia, the land down under. And I can say that because I'm an Australian. It's great to be here. And wherever you are watching from or listening, whatever the fact may be, I pray that God will bless you as we journey through this very important message together. Will God remember you? That's a bit of a strange title. Does God forget things? We're going to look at that in just a little bit. But I certainly do. I don't know if you, anyone here forgotten anything. Okay, a few of you have forgotten something. It's a bit annoying. I never forget the day I forgot my wife's birthday. Oh my, oh my. <laughs> We'd only been married for just over 12 months. We were coming up to our second anniversary and I forgot her birthday. Now you're thinking, Danny, how on earth could you forget your wife's birthday after being married for not even two years? Well, let me tell you the story. Her birthday happens to be on December 23. Two days before Christmas. I mean, what was she thinking being born two days before Christmas. It's a crazy time of the year. What do we call that time of the season? Silly. The silly season. We call it a silly season for good reason. Anyway, what had happened was my next door neighbor, we were living in Kurumbong at the time. I was studying at Avondale College. We were living, this is back in 1996, okay, so many moons ago. We're living in Kurumbong. My next door neighbor bought a brand new jet ski. And he says to me the day before my wife's birthday, how would you like to go out with me on the lake tomorrow morning and enjoy some jet skiing? And I'm like, of course, but of course. And so anyway, I'm just, I'm just ready and waiting and I can barely sleep all night. I've never been on a jet ski. This is my first opportunity. We just had a brand new baby as well, by the way. Um, our little bubs, Jamie Lee, she was about a month and a half old. And so I was looking forward to getting out and, and being on this jet ski. So anyway, we get up in the morning and, um, and everything seems to be hunky-dory and all good. And I head off with my neighbor and my brother-in-law happens to be visiting us as well. He's from Brisbane. Anyway, we head off on the jet ski. And um, before we head off, I noticed my wife was a little bit cranky. You know, you know how you can just pick that up, that something's not right? <laughs> I just had the feeling, I mean, I hadn't been married for long, but I could pick up the vibes. And anyway, she just didn't seem to be in the best possible mood before Christmas. I'm thinking, what's up? Who knows? Anyway, no time to discuss or worry about it now. And so off I go jet skiing. Anyway, I come home and when I come home, she greets me and I've got a big smile on my face and I'm like, oh, it was just amazing. And she didn't even ask me how it was. I was just telling her what it was like. And the more I'm telling her how amazing this experience was out in the lake, jet skiing with my next door neighbor, the crankier she is getting. 
And I'm thinking, you are just so jealous. It's just so terrible. Like, all you can do is think about yourself and, um, and you're not even like thanking, you know, you're not even thankful that he, you know, had a good time and um, like, what's up with that? And, um, and anyway, finally, she just couldn't help herself. And she said, well, I'm glad someone had a nice time today. <laughs> Emphasis on the today. I can still hear those words ringing in my ears. And all of a sudden it hit me like a bolt of lightning. Talk about a storm. <laughs> I'm like, oh, happy birthday, sweetie. Let's just say, let's just say I have never, ever forgotten my wife's birthday again. There's one sure way never, ever to forget your wife's birthday, Lionel, and that is to forget it once. You'll never forget it again. It's annoying. I've got to set reminders for myself because I forget things. I forget when I'm supposed to take the, the washing out of the washing machine and put it up on the washing line. And I just forget. But my wife's like, you don't forget about your bike riding. You don't forget about playing tennis. But you happen to forget the washing and putting it out on the line. It's strange how we forget some things and some things we don't. Don't you think, ladies? It's like, I don't understand how it works, but it just works. <laughs> anyway, does God forget things? Is God forgetful? Does God need to set reminders? No, he doesn't. Of course he doesn't. God doesn't forget anything. So, so why this title? Why this title? Will God remember you? Well, before we unpack this story from the book of Noah, as we go to the very heart of the book of Noah in this message, we need to do something very important before we open up God's scripture. And what is that? Pray. We need to pray. So let's do that right now. Father in heaven, we ask and pray that as we open your word together and we unpack a little more of this incredible, relevant message of Noah for our day, we pray that your Holy Spirit will open our hearts and our minds as we open your word, that we may be ready to receive what the Spirit has to say to those who are living at the very close of human history, awaiting the soon return of Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, we are going to the story of Noah because of the significant words of Jesus at the end of his sermon, on, at the end of his sermon, uh, zeroing in on the signs of his coming in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus shared these concluding words that brings, that brings the signs to a climax. And as we discovered in our last message, apart from the gospel going to all the world, the greatest sign I have discovered is the sign of Noah. That will prepare people for the soon return of Jesus. So let's go to the scriptures. If you have your Bibles, you may want to follow along with me to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. And let's pick it up in verse 36. Matthew 24, verse 36. Jesus here speaking regarding the days that will precede his coming, immediately precede his coming. Matthew 24, verse 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. And he's speaking of what event? Speaking of the second coming. So we cannot know the exact time when Jesus will come. But he goes on now. 
But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So Jesus here says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be before I return. And he repeats this message according to, according to Luke. Luke actually taps into these words of Jesus in Luke 17. And he also attaches the days of Lot. So the days of Noah and the days of Lot will be just as it will be before Jesus returns. So we've discovered three all important um, points regarding the days of Noah and the story of Noah. And that is our main focus, although we will be taking a look at the days of Lot as well a little. But the first thing we discover is that the story of Noah clearly identifies Earth's final generation, according to the words of Jesus. Secondly, the story of Noah enables us to know and understand how we can be ready when the Son of Man returns. Because Jesus, following this passage in Matthew 24 on the, on the days of Noah, he says, watch and be ready, watch and be ready. And thirdly, the story of Noah provides instruction on how we can prepare others for Jesus' soon return. And that is just so critical that we understand that. It's not just about preparing ourselves. But let me suggest that more importantly, it's being used by God through His Holy Spirit to prepare others for the soon return of Jesus. For that is the message of John the Baptist. That needs to be repeated at the end of time. What was, not jo- what was John the Baptist's message? To make ready a people who are prepared for what? For the Lord's coming, for the first coming. And you and I have been invited by God to be God's end time John the Baptist generation to make ready a people who are ready for the second coming of Jesus. We discovered in our last message that Noah found what in the eyes of the Lord? Grace in the eyes of the Lord. We discovered that Noah was a righteous man. He was a just man. He was a man who was blameless, who was perfect, who was filled with integrity. And ultimately, he was a man who walked with who? He walked with God and he followed God and everything that God said. He was a faithful man. And because of his faithfulness, God rewarded him in the salvation of his entire family, his wife, his sons his three sons and their wives. Eight people in all were saved. As I was going through the story of Noah in the Bible, in the Bible, because there is another story of Noah out there that sadly uh, the majority of people would be more familiar with than the biblical story of Noah when it comes to people living in Australia. There was a movie back in 2014 that was um, put out by Hollywood on Noah. Noah is the title. I just watched the trailer and that was enough. That was enough. A story from Hollywood on Noah. The story of Noah that was so horribly massacred from what the real truth is. And so we want to go to what the story of Noah is in Scripture, in Holy Scripture. These four chapters, chapter 6, 7, 8 and 9 are powerful and they encourage us with a message that is so relevant for our time. I cannot begin to to help you understand how relevant it is. You'll need to keep watching and you'll need to keep 
coming along and, and finding that out. But as I was going through my Bible, and I bought a new Bible. I bought this Andrew's study Bible, which I have here in my hand. As I was going through and reading my new Bible, I was in the story of Noah there. And I discovered something that I had never seen before in the story of Noah. And that is that the story of Noah is written with a focal point. It's written with a bullseye, so to speak. It's written in chiastic form. Now, what is a chiasm or what is chiastic form? It's simply where the, the main message of the story, the key point is found where? In the middle, just as in a bullseye. So that's probably the best way to describe it. So we're going to go to the very bullseye of the story of Noah, the very heart of the story of Noah. So let me share with you from the Andrews Study Bible what I discovered here in the notes very, very powerful stuff when it comes to will God remember you? That's our subject for today. Notice what we discover. We discover God's faithfulness is the very heart of the flood story. Let me repeat that. God's faithfulness to Noah is the very heart of the flood story. Notice how the story is composed. We have it here from the Andrews Study Bible, here in the notes from uh, Genesis chapter 6 all the way through to Genesis chapter 8. Just uh, the overall structure of the story of Noah in the book of Genesis. Firstly, at the top of the story, we have Noah's righteous character in a violent context. We looked at that in our last message and we're going to look at it once again. We have the bookend to that in chapter 8, 22 and 22. Noah sacrifices this righteous man. Secondly, we have God instructs Noah to build an ark and the remnant enters the ark. Second last in this passage of the story, we have God instructing Noah to leave the ark. Thirdly, the beginning of the deluge. Then we have the waters dry up. Then we have the waters rise. And then we have the waters received. Now, guess what's right there, smack bang in the middle of the story? The words in Genesis chapter 8, verse 1, which read, And God did what? And God remembered Noah and every living thing and all that and all the animals that were with him in the ark. The very heart of the story is that God remembered Noah. When it, comes to, when it comes to the time element that we find in the Noah story, it's also fascinating to find what's at the very heart of the time element in the story. Notice these words. Once again, Andrew's study Bible gives, these wonderful, gives this wonderful insight. We have seven days of waiting for the rain, followed by seven days of waiting to send the second bird toward the end of the story. We have seven days of waiting for the flood followed by seven days of waiting to send the first bird at the tail end. We have 40 days of the flood. Then we have 40 days of waiting for dry land. We have 150 days of the water rising in Genesis 7:24, And in Genesis 8:3, we have 150 days of waters decreasing. Guess what's at the very heart of that particular part of the story? And God remembered Noah. And God remembered Noah. God's faithfulness to Noah is the very heart of the flood story. So I go to Google. Do you know about Google? You ever been to Google? 
So I go to Google and I Google the story of Noah. And there in Wikipedia, I find an individual by the name of Gordon Wenham. And he is the one who originally put this chiasm together, I discovered. And notice what we have here. Uh, it's, a little, it's a little small because we needed to fit it all in on one screen. But this is Gordon Wenham and this chiastic structure of the Genesis flood narrative. He's got the four chapters here lined up, but he's missing two elements. He's missing the, the first bookend and the second and the last bookend of the story. Now, and I'm going to get to that at the end. That's going to be Danny's contribution to the chiasm. So you'll get to that at the end. But notice what he has here. He has Noah and his sons, Genesis 6.10. And at the back end, we have Noah and his sons once again. We have all life on earth, all life on earth. We have the curse on the earth. We have the blessing on the earth. We have the ark, the ark. We have all living creatures mentioned, all living creatures again. We have the flood, the flood, animals in man's hand, animals in man's hand. We have entry into the ark, exit from the ark, waters increase, waters decrease, mountains covered, mountains visible. Wow! <laughs> Just when you thought it could not get any more amazing. And what's at the very heart of the story? No prizes for guessing this third time. It is what? God remembered Noah. Now, do you know what? There is a little more to the story. And I have been, I have been digging into this story like I have never done before. And I have discovered things, as we're going to discover in this six-part series, that just blew me out of the water. Absolutely blew me out of the water. As I was reading this story, I'm like, even Gordon Wenham, he begins in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 10. And he ends in Genesis 9 and verse 19. But that's not the beginning and that's not the very end of the Noah story. Because the Noah story begins in Genesis chapter 6 and verse what? Verse 1. And the Noah story ends in Genesis chapter 9. And let me tell you now, as I look at it in my Bible... Genesis chapter 9 and verse 29. So it ends in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 29. So what do we have at the very beginning and what do we have at the very end? And I just read the passages and you can do that too. I asked my friend Joel, is it possible? He's the one that put these graphics together. He's done a fantastic Joel, a job, Joel. A, a fantastic job, Joel. <laughs> Not a fantastic Joel job. <laughs> He's done a fantastic job. And I'm like, Joel, can we sneak this Danny um, contribution into the Kaiser? Because no way, nobody will see it. But if you go home and you take a look at the first eight verses of Genesis chapter 6, you'll discover that there is a distinction between two lines. There is the unfaithful and the faithful. We looked at that in our last message, didn't we? The sons of God and the daughters of men. You have Noah who is faithful to God, who finds grace in the eyes of the Lord and sadly those who refuse God's grace. That's at the beginning. What do we have at the end of the story? We have Noah's three sons and Noah. Noah, sadly, um, we don't know how it came to be, but he planted a vineyard. That's not a big deal, but he got drunk. 
Okay, that happens from time to time, doesn't it? Uh, we don't know how it happened. The Bible doesn't tell us. Um, but he got drunk. One of his sons, Ham, went in and saw his father drunk and naked. And it appears from the text that he made fun of his father before his other brothers, Shem and Japheth. Whereas Shem and Japheth, they didn't think it was funny at all. The Bible says they went in backwards, backwards, and they covered their naked father's body so that he would not be ashamed. And so we have, we have Ham being cursed through his son Canaan, and we have Shem and Japheth being blessed. Two lines at the beginning, two lines at the end of the story, your choice, whose line you will be in. Your choice and my choice, whether we will receive the blessing of God or sadly the opposite. So it's right there, all the way through from the beginning of Genesis chapter 6 to the end of Genesis chapter 9. Now, is that incredible? Amen. That is absolutely incredible. All right. We press on. God's faithfulness. I repeat, God's faithfulness to Noah is at the very heart of the story of the flood the very heart of the story of the flood. Now, what's fascinating to me is that not only is God's faithfulness to Noah at the very heart of the Noah story, but as we'll discover now, what's at the very heart of the story of Lot is, guess what? The faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God. Don't ever forget that for one moment, folk, those of you who are watching. Don't ever forget that God's faithfulness always precedes your faithfulness, my faithfulness, our faithfulness. We can only be faithful to God because of His faithfulness. He gives us the gift of faithfulness. It's a gift. I don't have it. I told you the story earlier on to begin this message of how unfaithful I am in just remembering my wife's birthday, let alone anything else. God's faithfulness always precedes the faithfulness that he invites in those that accept his grace. Always. Jesus went on in Luke after talking about the days of Noah, and this is what he said. Even as it was, or likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So let's take a look at the story of Lot one brief moment. It says in Genesis 19 verse 29, And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God did what? He remembered Abraham, there's that word again, and sent Lot out of the midst of of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. They are Sodom and Gomorrah. So before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain, what did he do? He remembered Lot and his family through the faithfulness of Abraham and Lot also who was faithful to God. According to Peter, According to Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2, he tells us very clearly that Lot was faithful to God. He was a righteous man also. Lot was someone who, who was grieved in his heart 
to see the wickedness, the immorality that was pervasive, that was, that was a pandemic in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah where he lived. He was a righteous man, the Bible says. Let's never forget that. He made the wrong choice, indeed, to head toward and then into the city of Sodom, but he was a righteous man. He was a faithful man. Notice what we read in Genesis chapter 30, verse 22, where this term remembered appears again. Then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. Rachel, she's the, she was the favorite wife of Jacob. The favorite wife of Jacob. And God remembered her and he opened up her wound. So what is the key message when God remembers his faithful people? Here it is. When God remembers his faithful people, he stands up for them. He stands by his promises and he places his arms of protection around them. And God does what to his people? He delivers his people. Don't forget this. When God remembers you, he will deliver you. So what are you experiencing right now? Are you experiencing some very difficult and challenging moments? You too can call out to God. You too can cry out to God. And he has promised that he will remember you. And by remembering you, he will deliver you. He will deliver you. Second Peter chapter 2. Here we have Peter describing this deliverance from God in these words. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 6. God did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. Goes on. And did what? And delivered righteous Lot. The Lord knows how to do what? How to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under the punishment for the day of judgment. Does God know how to deliver his people? Yes, he does. God knows how to deliver his people. When his people are in slavery, they are in bondage in Egypt. God comes to them in their time of need, in their time of suffering and sorrow. And notice what Moses writes in the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 to 25, we read these words. Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage and they cried out and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. We keep reading. So God heard their groaning and God did what? He remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. In verse 25, and God looked upon the children of Israel and God did what? He acknowledged them. He acknowledged them. Do you find yourself in bondage? I'm not talking about physical bondage necessarily. There is a, there is a far greater, a far more dangerous and deadly bondage than physical bondage. And that is spiritual bondage. For Paul says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against what? Against principalities and powers and the rulers of darkness of this age. God wants to set us free from whatever slave device or devices the enemy may have wrapped around us like a ball and chain. Wherever you are, my friend, whatever your experience, 
I want to encourage you to cry out to Jesus. Just like the children of Israel who cried out in their time of suffering and bondage and God remembered and he heard and he acknowledged and he saved them. So too God wants to save you from the taskmaster, the one whose aim is only to steal, kill and destroy. That's John 10, 10. And his name is what? Satan, the devil and Satan. Jesus wants to offer you what? He wants to offer us John 10, 10, the abundant life. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life, that they may have it what? More abundantly. The story of Noah at the very heart of the story of Noah is freedom. It's release from the bondage, from the ball and chains that the enemy has placed around us. That's God's plan. That's God's will. And Jesus, in his words, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be before I come, gives us the promise, the unassuming promise that if you and I put our faith and trust in him, he will set us free. For Jesus came to do what? To set the captives what? Free. He said, I've come to set the captives free. The story of Noah gives us so much encouragement that there is hope, hope to be set free from whatever bondage we may be in. When it comes to, when it comes to God remembering and his people forgetting, there's probably no clearer example than in the book of Judges. Notice what we read in Judges chapter 8 and verse 33 and verse 34. So it was as soon as Gideon was dead that the children of Israel again played the harlot with the Baals and made Baal Berith their God. Thus the children of Israel did not remember the Lord their God who had done what? Who had delivered them from the hands of all their enemies on every side. It's a sad reality that although God remembers his people and he stands up for them and he delivers them, sadly, his people, and I count myself as part of that group, we, we far often, more often than we'd like to admit or even acknowledge, we do not remember the Lord our God who has delivered us. I don't know about your prayers, but my prayers far too often, more often than, than, than I would want, are about me, 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 and my focus and what my needs are, rather than praising God, thanking God, lifting up His wonderful name and acknowledging Him for all of the deliverances that I have received in my life. Maybe it's... Maybe it's time to do more praise than petition. Nothing wrong with petitioning God's throne of grace. We're invited to do that. But maybe it's time to spend a little bit more time in praising God for his wonderful deliverances. I repeat, when God remembers and delivers his people, he pours out his grace, mercy, long-suffering and forgiveness. And that is why the Bible says in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8, Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. 
Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. As we pointed out earlier, Lot also found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And you and I today can find grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah and Lot, they both lived in societies that were plagued with evil, with immorality, with violence, with wickedness, with corruption. And if I've missed out anything else, you can fill in the blank. But because of God's grace, they were able to live a holy and a righteous life. How is that possible? How is that possible to be immersed, to be marinated, if I could use that word, to be marinated in such immorality, in such wickedness, in such evil? How is it possible to live in such a society and remain pure, remain holy, remain righteous, remain true and faithful to God? How on earth is that possible? How? It's impossible from a human point of view, isn't it? There's only one way. And it's the, it's the promise that we find in the words of the Apostle Paul. One of my favorite promises. And it's in Romans chapter 5 and verse 20. Romans chapter 5 and verse 20, where the Apostle Paul writes, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but these words are worth memorizing. But where sin did what? Abounded, grace abounded much more. Wow. Where there is sin, there is more grace. Why is that? Because the most powerful force in the universe is not wickedness. It's not evil. It's not sin in all its forms. But the most powerful, form, the most powerful force in the universe is what? God's love. God's love. Because God is what? God is love. God is love. And that is why where sin abounds, God's grace abounds so much more. Noah was a, was a man who received God's grace. He was a man who received God's righteousness. And the Bible says he was a preacher of righteousness. Back to the words of 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Noah preached concerning a storm. And Peter picks up on these words and reminds us, for those of us who are living at the end of time. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, and verses 17 and 18. This is what it says. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that what? Any should perish, but that how many should come to repentance? That all should come to repentance. He goes on in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will do what? It will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. It will take place. Once again, this world will come to an end. Four and a half thousand years ago or so, this world was destroyed by what? A flood of water. The Bible tells us at the end, this world will be cleansed. Sin will be cleansed forevermore by a flood of what? A flood of fire. A flood of fire. And then 
Peter gives an appeal. He gives an appeal to those who are reading his epistle. And that's us today. We are reading this in the context of the second coming. And notice his appeals, verses 17 and 18. He goes on, he says, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, we have been given a heads up, the ultimate heads up. Since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness or faithfulness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in what? Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Amen. So what is Peter here saying? You don't need to read between the lines to understand what he's saying. What Peter is saying, my dear friend, he is saying that as sin abounds, as wickedness abounds and grows exponentially, and we are seeing that, we are experiencing that. And in our fourth presentation, when we take a look at crumbling foundations, we will get an insight into the days of Noah and what is happening today. The parallels are just out of this world, literally. But as sin abounds, you and I are invited by God to grow in what? To grow in grace, grow in grace. The truth is that the darker something is, the darker a room, the darker a space, the brighter is the light. When it is shone, when it is shone into that darkness, isn't that right? We are living in a dark, sin-filled world, and God is looking for people who will take on board the the invitation of Jesus to be a light in the world. If ever God needed a light, it's today. Because you and I, we are, we are all living in the days of what? We're living in the days of Noah. That is our day. I repeat, if you have any doubts that we are living in the days of Noah, stay tuned. Stay tuned. In the next four presentations, in particular the next two, we're going to discover how close we are indeed to the coming of Jesus as we compare our day to the day of Noah. Another storm is coming. Make no mistake about that. For over 200 years now, since 1798, we have been living in the time of the end, as the Bible refers it. The time of the end. And ever since 1844, we have been living in Earth's final judgment hour. No time to unpack those two time prophecies and the significance of them. Maybe on another occasion. But we are literally living at the very end of human history. We are right there at the end. We're right at the end. Another storm is coming. There is only safety to be found in one. And that one is, his name is what? Jesus. His name is Jesus. Because let's not forget what the angel said to Joseph. You will call his name Jesus. And I'm Going off the top of my head, I think it's Matthew 121. It's not up on the screen. Matthew 121. You will call his name Jesus because Jesus means he will do what? He will save his people from their sins. Jesus is our only savior. 
Just like there was only one way to be saved in the days of Noah, only one way to be saved, and that was to enter willingly into the ark when Noah gave his final appeal and said, come, come, come into the ark. Only those who were inside the ark, though it was smelly, I can hardly imagine the smell, but it was the only place of safety. It's not going to be all that easy for those that seek to remain faithful to God in the end. But guess what? I would rather be in a smelly ark with God than in the fresh air of those who are worshipping at Satan's throne that will ultimately be destroyed. We are heading very quickly to what the Bible refers to as the final time of trouble such as this world has never witnessed or experienced in all of its history. We are heading very quickly to that time. So the question is, will God remember his people? As he did in the days of Noah, will he once again remember his people during earth's final crisis when all hell breaks loose? Literally. Notice what God promises in the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel, chapter 12, verse 1. We read these words. At that time, Michael, which is another name for Jesus Christ, or the name means one who is like God. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. And at that time, writes Daniel, your people shall be what? Delivered everyone who is found written in the book. Once again, God's deliverance coming through as God delivered Noah and his family, as God delivered Lot and his family, those who chose from his family to join him. So too, God at the end of time will deliver his people, everyone who is found written in the book. Now, in the Bible, there are at least two different books that I've come across. One of the books, interestingly, is called, guess what? We read the Malachi chapter 3, verses 16 to 18, the last book of the Old Testament. Notice these words, Malachi chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of what? A book of remembrance. Can you believe it? The word is there again. A book of remembrance was written before him for those who do what? Fear the Lord and who meditate on his what? On his name. This is this sounds like Noah. This sounds like Lot. Let's keep reading. Verse 17. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels and I will do what? I will spare them as a man spares or delivers his own son who serves him. Will God have a book of remembrance at the end of time? Yes, he will. And who will be placed in that book of remembrance? All those like Noah that have chosen to follow God, that have chosen to be loyal to God, that have chosen to give their hearts to Jesus Christ in full surrender. They will be remembered. They will be remembered and they will be delivered. There is also another book that is the companion book, may I suggest, to the book of remembrance. And it's called the book of life. 
the book of life. Notice these words from the apocalypse. This time we go from the last book of the Old Testament to the last book of the New Testament. That's an interesting parallel, isn't it? Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. He who overcomes, these are the words of Jesus. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. And I, this is Jesus speaking, and I will not blot out his name from the what? From the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. There is a book of remembrance and there is a book of life. And God's plan, my friend, for you and for me, for all of us, is that we find our names in the Lamb's book of life. And that's exactly how Revelation 13 and verse 8 refers to this book of life. Notice these words. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. There's only going to be two sides at the end of time, just as there were two sides, two groups in the days of Noah, two groups in the days of Lot, there will likewise be two groups at the end of time. One group will have their names written in the Lamb's book of life. They've accepted the grace that Jesus Christ alone can impart. They have received that. They have received God's Holy Spirit. And they have chosen through the power of the Holy Spirit, like Noah, like not, like all of God's faithful men and women down through the ages, they have chosen to be faithful to God, no matter what the cost, no matter what the consequences, no matter what anyone says or anyone does, their only interest has been, what does God say? What is God's plan for my life? What is God's will for my life? And that, by His grace, is all I want to do, is all I want to do. In Luke chapter 10, verse 20, Jesus said, Rejoice, because your names are written in heaven. Rejoice, because your names are written in heaven. What a beautiful promise. What a beautiful invitation. To have your name written in the books of heaven. Rejoice. So Christians, those who are faithful to Jesus, those who choose Jesus to be their Lord and Savior, they ought to be the most joy-filled individuals on the planet. Amen? And yet, many a time, we walk around like we have swallowed a whole bunch of lemons for breakfast. Isn't that right? That's how we look. I've seen it on a Saturday morning as I've got up to preach to my beautiful congregation and I look out and if they're not sleeping, many of them look like they've swallowed a bunch of lemons for breakfast. When we're singing, hallelujah, praise the Lord, rejoice in the Lord always, we're not singing with, with joy on our countenances as we ought to. And why ought, to we, why ought we be a joyful people? Because our names according to Jesus, are written in heaven, in the Lamb's book of life, in the book of remembrance. We can have the assurance if we have Jesus in our hearts and in our lives, we can have the assurance today, today, that we have salvation. 
not through anything we do, but through Jesus Christ and his merits. So as we seek to land, God gives an invitation for those that want to be protected by him during this time of trouble such as the world has never seen. And the parallel is striking with the days of Noah. In Genesis 7 verse 16 we read, So those that entered the ark, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had done what? Commanded him and the Lord shut him in. The Lord shut him in. The Lord shut Noah in. The Lord sealed him. He was sealed. He was saved. Guess what? At the end of time, we don't have time to go there, but in Revelation chapter 7, in Revelation chapter 14, we discover that God once again at the end of time seals his people. He shuts them in by his grace. And they can never, ever be snatched out of the nail-scarred hands of Jesus Christ. Sealed and saved and delivered forevermore, no matter what they may go through. No matter what they may go through. And it's going to be a difficult time. Let's not kid ourselves. Let's not kid ourselves. It's going to be the most challenging time that God's people will ever experience, that time of trouble such as never was. Not so much because of what God is bringing into their lives, but by what the enemy is bringing into their lives, who is determined, hell-bent on, on somehow taking them away from God. Somehow, somehow encouraging them to, to, to step away from their, from their association and clinging to Jesus. It's going to be a tough time, but we don't need to be afraid because in Psalm chapter 27, verse 5, David writes, For in the time of trouble, he that is God shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And who is that rock? Who is the ultimate rock in Scripture? It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the ultimate rock. So no matter what comes, your way, my way, by God's grace and through his strength, he will see us through to the other side. He will see us through to the other side. All you and I need to do today is cling to those nail-scarred hands. Cling to the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. And he has promised, I will never leave you nor what? Forsake you. I will be with you always, even till when? The end of time. Was God with Noah all the way through to the end? Yes. Was God with Lot all the way through to the very end? Yes. Did God deliver both Noah and Lot? Yes. Will God deliver his people at the end of time? Yes, yes, yes. God will remember his faithful people who choose to be faithful to him because Jesus said, as it was, in the days of Noah, so it will be when I come again. So it will be. I want to share a couple more promises with you. This one from Psalm 91 verses 1 and 2. 
and verses 15 and 16. This is an end time psalm. This is a psalm, especially for those that are going to live through the great tribulation or the most frightening time in human history, the time of trouble, as Daniel described, that such as never was. These are beautiful words. Worth memorizing this entire psalm, but let's just take a look at the two bookends of Psalm 91. Beginning in verse 1 and 2. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him I will do what? I will trust. And notice how the psalm ends. Verses 15 and 16. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and I will show him my what? My salvation. Oh, what beautiful words of encouragement and promise. Amen. God says, I'll deliver you. I will show you my salvation. I will give you a long life. And that long life ultimately is how long? It's eternal. It's eternal. It's eternal. In Isaiah 54, verses 9 and 10, we read these words. For this is like the waters of Noah to me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be angry with you nor rebuke you. For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace. There it is. The covenant of peace, the covenant of grace be removed, says the Lord, who has mercy on you. So the question as we seek to end is this. What must I do to have my name written in the book of life? the book of remembrance, the Lamb's book of life. What must I do? What must I do? The answer to that question, there's no better place to go than a hill called Calvary. A hill called Calvary. Where on that dark day that today we refer to as Good Friday, where on that dark day, the creator of the world, the creator of the universe. He was there on that cross, hands outstretched, nailed, hands and feet. And there were two individuals there by his side. They both originally rebuked him. They both originally mocked him and scoffed him. But one of them had a change of heart. And these are his words to Jesus. Then he said to Jesus, that is one of those two that were on either side of Jesus, the two thieves, the two criminals. Lord, do what? Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Is it your desire today to pray that prayer, to call out to Jesus like that thief who had no hope? You have no hope. I have no hope. None of us have any hope without Jesus. To cry out to Jesus, Lord, 
Here I am with my sin-sick soul exposed before you. You know me. Remember me. Remember me, Lord, when you come. Remember me. And the promise is to you as to that thief. I'm promising you today. I'm giving you the assurance today that I will indeed remember you when I come. Assuredly, I say to you, when I come, not when I might come, when I come, I will, you will be with me in paradise. You will be with me in paradise. Hang on to Jesus. Give him your heart. Give him your all. He will never let you down. He will never let anyone down. Today, he's giving the invitation. He's giving the invitation. We are living in a day and age when that final invitation is going out. There was a final invitation that Noah gave in his day. There was a final invitation in the days of Lot. And there is a final invitation today. Jesus is inviting us. He's inviting us to come. Come into the ark, the ark of safety, that is Jesus Christ and his salvation alone. Won't you come? Won't you come? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the invitation that he gives to us to come. We come as we are, broken and sin-sick. And by his mighty grace, by the power of his Holy Spirit, he transforms us more and more day by day into his perfect and beautiful image from glory to glory. Oh, Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his love. We thank you for his mercy. We thank you for his grace. Today we come and we receive that, not because we are worthy or deserve it, but because of Jesus Christ and his worthiness and his grace. Thank you in Jesus' name. Everybody say, Amen. You've been listening to Focus on God's Word with Pastor Danny Milenkov a production of 3ABN Australia Television. If you have any comments or questions, send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au.